You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because More Living with Jim Brogan starts now. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. Thank you for tuning in to News Talk 98.7 WOKI as we kick off the new year. It's great to be back with you. Uh, you know, for many retirees and retirement savers, last year was a trek through very rocky waters. And what many people expected from their assets, their retirement plans, and overall market and economy seemed to shift as recession, inflation, and downturn started to dictate the conversation. But now it's 2023. And there's no better time to reset. You know, there's no way to know if 2023 could hold a return to the market conditions we knew prior to last year, or if it will be continue to shake to, to, to be a shakeup. Either way, with the turn of the new year, you can adjust your current plan or start planning now uh, for whatever may lie ahead. So in today's show, we're gonna we're gonna talk about briefly 2022, but then most importantly, look through the front windshield into 2023 and beyond. And I'm gonna give you three tips, financial tips for heading into the new year. We're also gonna do an overview of the Secure Act 2.0 that was passed. It was part of the omnibus bill uh, that was passed by Congress right before Christmas. We'll talk about how politics can affect your retirement. And then in the last segment of the show, we're going to be joined by my friend and cardiologist Jeff Johnson from University Cardiology. And we're going to talk about the issue that happened with the Buffalo Bills defensive back, Denar Hamlin, uh, with his cardiac arrest suffered on the football field. Uh, get his perspective and also the perspective overall of what's going on with seeing more of weird types of cardiac events in young people. So let's first look at 2022, and then we'll look forward into 2023. Now, uh, 2022 was, in many ways, uh, a record bad year. Now, now, please keep in mind, you know, the stock market, the S&P 500 was down just a little over 18%. We've certainly had years that were a good bit worse than that. And at, at its worst, the S&P 500 was down 25, 26% in that range. And we, you know, that's not even an average bear market. An average bear market is typically down more than that. What was so unusual is that the bond market last year was also down substantially. Uh, the U.S. Barclays aggregate bond index was down right at 13%. So there was just no balance. The traditional 60-40 portfolio was not productive at all. Uh, I have talked for several years that I thought the 60-40 traditional stock and bond portfolio would not be very productive in the future uh, in this current economic climate, and we've had a big hit to bonds. Um, so it is unusual to, to put that in perspective. 
if we look at things historically, uh, this past year was the worst year ever for long-term bonds. Uh, both if we look at their total return and their return relative to inflation, it's even worse as long-term bonds uh, relative to inflation were down 30% in 2022. So it was something of an historical year. Uh, now, this was due largely to the increases in interest rates. And so as we look forward into 2023, I think it's very important to see the environment we're in right now. The Fed has said they will continue to increase interest rates as we head into 2023. Uh, the market, ironically, I don't think is expecting the Fed to hold us true to their word. Uh, in other words, their bark will be bigger than their bite. Uh, the market seems to be forecasting that rates will go up a little bit more, but the Fed will not be as persistent at increasing rates. Now, interestingly enough, I guess I guess the you know the answer to that's yet to be determined when we see what the Fed ends up actually doing. Inflation for the year ended at 7.1% in 2022. Uh, historically, when we have gone through in, in interest rate increases with the Fed, if I go back to 1974, you know, typically in, in every rate increasing environment, the Fed has not stopped increasing interest rates until the, the Fed funds rate uh, was higher than the current inflation rate. So as we ended 2022, the Fed rate was 4.5%, but the inflation rate was 7.1%. So based on what the Fed is saying and based on historic precedent, it would seem to indicate the Fed will continue to raise rates until the Fed funds target rate is higher than current inflation. So, you know, I think that's, you know, bottom line, we don't really know. But I do think the Fed is, is likely to continue rate increases to get inflation down. And that creates uncertain economic conditions. Uh, now, wage growth has started to slow down. And that is an encouraging sign when it comes to inflation. However, could be a little bit of a stickier sign when we look at earnings growth of U.S. companies. So let's look forward to 2023 and beyond. Now, whenever, I, when, whenever we talk about this and people ask me what my impression is for the coming year, you know, with which really people are saying, what do you expect the stock market to do? You know, we first have to realize the economy and the stock market are two different things. You know, when we get economic data, the economy is reacting. Uh, the economy, when we get economic data, it's what happened yesterday, the month before, the quarter before. The stock market is reacting to that data by looking forward four, six, eight months. Where are we going to be next, you know, this summer? So they don't, they don't move lockstep together at all. And so we always have to take that with a grain of salt. But really what people are asking me is, what do you see in the stock market and, I, and in the economy too? And I think we have to realize 
when we invest in the stock market and in and really in at-risk investment plans, looking at things through a lens of 12 months, you know, certainly three or six months, but even 12 months or even 24 months, it, it's a crapshoot. We just never know in the short term what's going to happen in the stock market and with risk investments in general. You know, what other types of investments could that be? Real estate, commodities, energy, natural resources, the bond market, high yield bonds, floating rate bonds, all of these different asset classes that can move up and down in the short term, we just don't know. So when we invest our money at risk, it's with an expectation of longer term growth to beat inflation. The key, though, is you have to have enough, enough years in your longer term growth to be able to balance out short term volatility in the market. So, yeah, I'm going to give you my thoughts on 2023 here in a second. But the bottom line is when we look at our investing we really shouldn't be looking at short-term ramifications of the stock market. We should be looking out a minimum of five to seven years. So at the end of this segment, I am going to give you three tips of how to deal with this market volatility. Now, when we look forward to 2023, I do see the Fed continuing to raise interest rates until inflation comes down more. I also think earnings growth in U.S. companies is likely to slow down more. Uh, I think that as inflation comes down, I think that in the, the inflation we had last year is somewhat covering up what the truth is with earnings growth with U.S. companies. In other words, how much earnings growth is due to inflation. And I think it's kind of hiding what may be really going on underneath the surface. And I think as we head deeper into 2023, I think the story for this year would be a lack of earnings growth. I think there's going to be frustration with earnings growth and what U.S. companies are making. Now, does that mean the stock market's going to be down in 2023? I have no idea. Uh, you know, if I'm looking through a lens of five to seven years, the market, mark, stock valuations are more attractive today on January the 7th than they were a year ago on January the 2nd of 2022. Stocks are cheaper today than they were a year ago. So if I'm looking out to the longer term, stocks are more attractive today than they were a year ago. Bonds are also more attractive today than they were a year ago because interest rates have gone a, uh, up, which means bond valuations have gone down. So, in other words, after 2022, both stock valuations and bond valuations are down. They're cheaper. Now, are they cheaper compared to where they'll be a year from now or six months from now? We have absolutely no idea. So my tip number one is when you invest at risk is be sure you're focusing on the long term because we just don't know how the market is going to react to the, the economic uh, instability. 
I do expect rates to continue up. I do expect the economy to slow down. I do expect corporate earnings to slow down in 2023. Where does that mean the stock market ends at the end of the year? I, I just don't know. I don't necessarily see a crash. I don't necessarily see a huge rally. I see more volatility. I wouldn't be surprised if the market's up in 2023 because stocks are cheaper today than they were a year ago. But the bottom line is it's a crapshoot. And when we invest at risk, we should be investing with a longer term view. Now, the minimum of that would be five to seven years. So my tip number one is don't depend on market investments for short term results. Tip number two is measure the risk in your portfolio. You know, the longer it's going to be before I need to start withdrawing money from my risk portfolio, the more risk that I can take because I have more time on my side to balance out the inevitable ups and downs in the stock market. For the long term, if I'm looking out 10 or 15 years, as I said, stocks are cheaper today than they were a year ago. So, you know, we should be measuring the risk in our portfolio. If I, you know, if you're 50 years old and you're not going to need to touch your 401k for 15 years, you can afford it to be somewhat aggressive because it's not important really in your portfolio what it's worth a year from now. It's important what it's worth 15 years from now. And the stock market, given 15, 20 years, tends to historically do pretty well. Uh, now, if you need, if you're approaching retirement, then, you know, things have changed up. So you've got to at least get your market-based investment structured where you don't have to touch them for the next five or six or seven years. But that means you cannot be as aggressive with those investments as somebody who's 50 that's not going to touch their investments for 15 years. So you need to have more balance, more diversification, more alternative investment asset classes, more things that if one thing zigs, another thing zags. So you decrease in the, the inherent risk in your portfolio. You don't go down as much, hopefully, ideally, when the market is sharply down. Now that means you're not probably going to make as much when markets are up, but you increase more stability into your plan. So number one, Invest for the longer term. Number two, define what that longer term is and measure the risk and make sure you're taking an appropriate amount of risk based on your financial plan. And then number three, structure income in the short term from things that are either protected or stable. You don't want to be drawing from risk investments. You know, there's an old saying, don't draw a fixed income from a risk investment. Your, in, your income over the next five, six, seven years so this is really approaching retirement and entering retirement, should be coming from holdings that are more stable or even protected so that your risk investments can go through the inevitable ups and downs. So, you know, I do expect choppy waters in 2023. I do expect corporate earnings to slow down. I do expect the economy to continue to slow down. But the economy and the stock market are two different things. So if you do these three things, I think you can be successful moving forward in 2023 and, and important, more maybe just as importantly, 2023 and beyond. Okay. Now, when we come back, 
we're going to do an overview of the Secure Act 2.0, which was part of the omnibus bill that was passed right before the new year, that $1.7 trillion bill. Secure Act 2.0, what does that mean for your retirement? Stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. And today we're talking about your finances in 2023. Uh, a sweeping change was made to the retirement landscape just before the new year. Under the omnibus bill that was passed, uh, right before uh, Congress passed it, right before Christmas, I think Biden signed it um, after Christmas, but at any rate, it is, in, it is now part of our law. The SECURE Act 2.0 was included in the omnibus bill, and along with it came some changes to the retirement landscape, including changes to retirement minimum, distrib- excuse me, required minimum distribution regulations, those RMDs, 401k enrollment, access to retirement plans, annuities in retirement accounts, small business retirement plan incentives, and more. So let's talk about some of the things that are in Secure Act 2.0. Uh, the biggest thing that goes, there's really only one major thing that goes into place in 2023, and that is the RMD age, when you have to start taking those forced distributions uh, from your IRA or 401k or other retirement account. Uh, it was 72. If you remember back before Secure Act, the first Secure Act, which was passed heading into 2020, uh, they raised the age from 70 and a half to 72. The only thing that's really impacted for 2023 is if you turn 72 this year. So if you were born in 1951, you do not have an RMD this year. The RMD goes to age 73. Now, in the future, it's going to go up eventually to age 75 in 2020, in 2033. But the biggest thing you know, need to know right now today is really the only people it affects is if you were born in 1951, you do not have an RMD this year. Uh, and then anybody born 1951 and later, the earliest you would have an RMD is 73. So if you turn 72 last year and your RMD started, um, you still have your RMD this year, even though you know you don't get any relief from that. So you'll be 73 this year. You have to take your RMD. Um, so that's really the biggest change for 2023. Um, now there have been a few, there were a, a few other things. Um, the penalty for failing to take an RMD was also reduced. Uh, it used to be 50% five zero. 
which is the largest penalty at the consumer level in the IRS code, in the Internal Revenue Code. They lower it to 25%, and then if it's uh, corrected quickly, it goes down to 10%. So that's a big change. Uh, now, most of the other changes uh, go, go into effect in future years. Starting in 2024, there is no RMD requirement for a Roth 401k. Many of you may not even have realized this. This was an inconsistency in the law in that, you know, your traditional Roth IRAs never have RMDs. But if you have a Roth 401k, you do have an RMD. Uh, once you hit 72 or starting this year, 73, well, starting in next year, in 2024, there will no longer be an RMD for Roth 401k. Um, they're also adding bigger catch-up contributions for older retirement savers. This starts in 2025. If you're between 60 and 63, starting in 2025, you can put more money uh, as a catch-up contribution in your 401k. Uh, so you can go up to $10,000 extra, which is almost 50% more than the uh, regular catch-up amount. But that's you know, that's two years down the line. Okay, it's just something that's coming down the pike in the new law. Um, there, there is a provision that if you make over $145,000, that your entire catch-up provision will have to be Roth and not traditional 401k. In other words, the IRS wants you to go ahead and pay tax on that catch-up contribution and not get the tax deduction. Not the worst thing in the world. I mean, on the one hand, it's, it, it, it doesn't help you deduct on your taxes in that year, but on the other hand, that's, that's tax-free money for down the line. Okay, so Congress is trying to shift things to require more Roth so that people will go ahead and pay that tax now. There is a broadening of employer 401k match options. It'll make it easier uh, to make contributions to 401k plans on behalf of students, excuse me, employees that are paying student loans instead of paying for retirement. That's a provision for down the road. There, are there is a provision for improving worker access to emergency savings to be able to get $1,000 out without having to pay that initial 10% tax penalty if you're not yet 59 and a half could potentially have a cap of $2,500. Um, it increases part-time workers' access to retirement accounts. You know, if you're between 500 and 999 years, uh, excuse me, if you're between 500 hours and 999 hours of work for the year, you've got easier and better access to 401k. Uh, there's provision to be able to put more into what's called a qualified longevity annuity contract, which is basically an annuity that sits there, and then once you get to a certain age, like 85, it provides guaranteed income for life at 85. Uh, so some people call that longevity insurance. So there's a lot of things in this new Secure Act 2.0. You know, if we go back and look at when the Secure Act was passed, headed into 2020, and now Secure Act 2.0 be going into 2023, 
It's all meant to be able to allow you to more easily save for retirement. And this is a trend over the last 50 years to shift the burden of paying for retirement from the government and from company corporations to you, the investor. You know, how does Social Security get impacted in the future? Company pension plans are becoming fewer and farther between. But then to offset that, providing you with greater incentives and opportunities to save in retirement accounts. So that's what all this is. So the, really the biggest thing though for 2023 is if you were born in 1951, you do not have an RMD this year. And if you're 1951 or later, the earliest your RMD would be would be the year you turn 73, and then 10 years from now, it will go up to 75. Now, at Brogan Financial, we're pouring through the new Secure Act 2.0, and in the next week or so, week or 10 days, we will have a release of a guide of the important provisions, really focusing on the important retirement provisions uh, that could impact you and increase your ability to save and become more secure for retirement. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about how politics affect your investments and what that means headed into 2023. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. As you listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Um, my, uh, we're talking about heading into 2023. We've talked about the year ahead. We've also talked a little bit about 2022 and the historic nature of it. Uh, really, putting together a financial plan could not be more important in today's uncertain economic world. The University of Tennessee has their next class, Financial Survival for Retirement. I teach that class. I've been teaching that class at the University of Tennessee since 2006. Uh, so it's been 16 years. We're starting this. We're in the 17th year. Uh, it is on February the 2nd and the 9th, and it's downtown at the downtown conference center. There's free parking in, I believe it's the Walnut Street Garage, which is right across the street. Uh, you can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com and find out more information about that class. Uh, you can click to register. You can download a syllabus and learn more about uh, all the things that I teach. I cover seven key areas I think people need to address uh, in their financial plan to be successful preparing for retirement, or if you're already retired, being successful in retirement. And how to, you know, how to navigate these volatile waters we're in. So again, go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com. It is Thursdays, February the 2nd and 9th, two two-hour sessions. 6.30 p.m. both nights. 
Now, I've got more classes I'll be teaching through both the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. We also have some one-night classes on tax planning, income planning. To see the full list of classes that I teach at the University of Tennessee in Pellissippi, go to broganfinancial.com and click on Classes. Now, many people view politics and their retirement plans separately. During the media coverage of election seasons and political news cycles, it's easy to think that most political issues are separate from the overall of health of your financial plan. And much of the time, politics have very little to do with an investment strategy or retirement timeline. In these heightened times of political instability, uh, I think people become in the U.S. have become more and more concerned about the relationship between politics and their money. So what does this mean for you? Uh, how should we be looking at this through a political lens? Uh, I think, number one, we need to be careful when we look at the markets through a political lens. Uh, you know, a divided government like we have for the next two years does create probably more uncertainty uh, more gridlock potentially. Uh, I mean, and even gridlock within parties. It took however many votes to get the new Speaker of the House uh, that went through, I think, last night. So grid, you know, but that means no, more than likely no sweeping changes uh, over the next two years. That could be a good or bad thing, depending on how you look at it. As a rule, Democrats... Are, are looking at 2023 in a more optimistic way than Republicans. And that is a normal kind of a thing because Democrats are in power in, the, in two of the three branches. You know, they're in power in uh, the, you know, the presidency and the Senate. Now, not the House. So, uh, but Democrats as a rule are more confident and more optimistic headed into 2023, um, a Democratic viewpoint from the Democrats tends to look at more spending, uh, potentially more regulation, tend to, more, more tend to be more restrictive in how the economy operates. Um, so on the one hand, taxes could trigger, spending could trigger more inflation, but on the other hand, uh, the more restrictive economic policy would curtail inflation. Republicans tend to like less regulation, which could be inflationary, but also less spending, which is less inflationary. Uh, Republican policy tends to be uh, more friendly to business growth. The bottom line in all of this is that we have to be very careful when we look through a political lens at the markets. You know, I talked about this a lot headed into 2020 uh, because our perspective, you know, I mentioned in, in the earlier in the show, we don't invest in the market at risk based on where we think we'll be in three months or six months or 12 months or even 24 months. At a minimum, when we invest in the markets at risk, we should be looking down the road, you know, four or five or even six or seven years. Because in the, in the short term, markets are just unpredictable. And the markets don't, and the economy, as I mentioned earlier as well, are two completely different things. They don't move up and down in lockstep together. 
you know, the economy could be struggling and the market could be soaring. The economy could be doing well and the market could be topsy-turvy. We just never know. So we do have to be very careful when we look with a political lens. Now, I do think with where we are today, there's liable to be a lot of gridlock and uncertainty in Congress in the coming year. And so that means potential for more choppiness and volatility. You know, one of the things that I've seen and that I've been kind of talking about is that, you know, the Fed raising rates and the uncertainty of that has created a lot of choppiness. And so the hope is that once the Fed stops raising rates and inflation comes down more, maybe we get a little bit less volatility. Uh, the, the situation in Congress right now I don't think is going to help that situation because there's just so much uncertainty. Um, we barely have a Senate that is in, in the Democrat side. We barely have a House that is on the Republican side. Uh, the Republicans appear to be in chaos and disagreement within the party. Uh, so it, you know, doesn't exude a lot of confidence for the coming year. Uh, bottom line, though, is we shouldn't be making short-term investment decisions based on politics. Uh, and we should be making investment decisions based on the long term. So, you know, generally markets do perform better when the White House, the House, and the Senate are divided. And that's what we have. Markets also, you know, do well the year after a midterm election. Um, that doesn't mean they're going to do well this year. But again, that's uncertainty and unpredictability. So one of the things, you know, I said earlier in the last in the last segment that I expect, you know, the, that in, I do expect inflation to come down, but also expect earnings growth to slow down. I, I expect at some point we'll be in recession if we're not already. When will that be? I don't know. When will that be if we're not in one already? When will that be? I don't know. Um, you know, but the bottom line is trying to time the market is, is, a, is a fool's errand, is the old saying. Because that one of the problems with that is you not only have to time when to get out of the market, you also then have to time, well, when do you get back in the market? And it is just really difficult. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, stocks are less expensive today than they were a year ago. So if I'm looking out to the longer term, Stocks are more attractive than they were a year ago. Does that mean they're going to be up in the next 20, 12 to 24 months? I have no idea. But be careful about letting politics affect too strongly how you feel about investing and about the market and about your financial plan. Because in a good financial plan, the short-term instability of the stock market, which is inevitable, really shouldn't have a, 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 a significant impact on your long-term success. Now, we're going to switch gears for this last segment. Uh, one thing that I have been very interested to, to learn about, and one thing that's made the news uh, quite a bit is, as you know, Monday uh, in the Monday night football game, Denar Hamlin had cardiac arrest on the football field. And all signs are he has not had any kind of a heart condition. And so what exactly happened to Denar Hamlin? And it is also triggered a lot of speculation about some of the increasing cardiac episodes we're seeing in younger athletes. 
So when we come back, I'm going to be joined by my good friend, uh, friend of the show as well, Dr. Jeff Johnson. He's a cardiologist at University Cardiology, and we're going to talk about some of these implications of what happened with DeMar Hamblin and answer some questions. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI as we kick off the new year. And one thing that's really been in the news this week, especially here in the local area, is Buffalo Bill Safety, DeMar Hamlin, Uh, suffered a cardiac arrest after making a tackle of T. Higgins, who is from Oak Ridge. T. Higgins with the Cincinnati Bengals in the Monday night football game, and his heart stopped, and they administered CPR on the football field. And, you know, we still don't have complete certainty of everything that happened there, but there's been a lot of coverage. Looks like DeMar Hamlin, thank goodness, is making a remarkable recovery. Uh, I'm joined this morning by my good friend, Dr. Jeff Johnson. He's a cardiologist over at University Cardiology. Thank you for joining us this morning. Jeff, it's great to talk to you. Jim, it's good to talk to you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. What do we know about what caused this cardiac arrest? Most likely, it seems that uh, DeMar Hamlin suffered from something called commodio cortis, which is a blunt trauma to the chest that occurs at a very specific time in the cardiac rhythm cycle that triggers fatal cardiac arrhythmia or cardiac arrest. Just to uh, point this out uh, in a different light, I remember when my boys were uh, playing at KYS over at Lakeshore at the age of around 10, 11, 12, we used to see young boys wear chest protectors at that time because probably anywhere from 10 to 20 times a year, according to the Komodo Cortis Registry, young boys are hit in the chest with baseballs or with hockey pucks or with uh, lacrosse pucks and suffer fatal cardiac arrest. It's a little bit unusual that DeMar Hamlin is 23, 24 years old. As we get older and get into our later year, our later adolescent years, 16, 18, 20, 22, et cetera, the chest wall becomes uh, stronger. And so the blunt trauma is less likely to trigger the cardiac arrhythmia. But it's most likely that that's what that happened to him. And I'm very thankful, as you mentioned, that he seems to be making a good recovery. Yeah, because when you were talking about that, Jeff, my and, and, and one of the thoughts that I've been having is it seems like we would see a lot more of this in professional athletes. Now, I mean, on the one hand, they're in such great, you know, world elite shape, but with the violent nature of football, you know, that this wouldn't have happened more often. Is it because their chest wall is so much stronger? 
It is because their chest wall is so much stronger. Yes, that's that really is what it is. Um, and the young boys where it's most common, like I said, 10 to 12 years old, it seems to be that uh, the velocity of the baseball or the hockey puck or similar type object needs to be somewhere between 30 to 50 miles an hour. And while these football players are incredibly strong and uh, I don't mean this necessarily negatively, but violent with their hits. Um, in return, they have such a strong chest wall that most likely they are protected from it. So more than likely, this was just a complete fluky one in a million kind of a thing. I think so. From uh, I even reread about this a little bit uh, this week right after it happened, even before you and I had communicated. And it does seem that it's extremely rare beyond the age of 20. Now, there are some things that we don't know about it. For example, um, we do not have record at, well, very little record that this occurs in females. And the debate is, well, do you have uh, historically young boys playing more of these sports, although we both know that um, in this day and age, we have girls playing softball and girls playing even baseball. Um, but it's not quite clear as to why it occurs more commonly in males rather than females. And so there's still a lot to be unknown about it. Um, there's still a lot to be learned about it, I mean. There has been some speculation, Jeff, about with, with, with the link between the COVID vaccine and cardiac events. And it seems like we're seeing more cardiac <clears throat> events. Maybe, maybe it's just more media coverage, but it seems like we're seeing more of these unusual things happen. Uh, what is your opinion about the, the issue with COVID, either contracting COVID or having had a vaccine? Is there any correlation here, any potential impact? Yes, I, I saw that earlier in the week. And just to be frank, I, I think that that has no connection whatsoever. Um, this has been looked at since COVID came out. Um, there has been a very slight increase in what we call myocarditis and uh, even male athletes. There was one study that was published about a year or so ago that showed 10 male athletes with a slight increase in inflammation in their heart after having the vaccine. This was confirmed by cardiac MRI. Um, the prognosis of those boys um, and those young men is, has been found to be excellent. Uh, the cause uh, or the incidence of death would be deemed extremely low. And I think that the chance that uh, DeMar Hamlin having had a vaccine and just contributing to that is extremely low. I, I guess another way to say it, and I am not necessarily pro or negative uh, vaccine. I allow my patients to make their own choices. But I would say what happened to DeMar Hamlin should not influence anyone as to whether or not they should get the vaccine or not, even if there is a minute, small connection to that. Well, thank you for that word, because um, that's really been in the news, I, I, you know, this week. Um, I, I do want to just real quickly, Jeff, we just have about a minute left, but talk about the heroism, the heroism of the of the doctors on the field. I mean, it sounded like he was in cardiac arrest for nine or 10 or 11 minutes. I mean, 
it you know most people that that suffered that really would have died it sounds like and that there there was just amazing what the doctors were able to do it truly is amazing i read somewhere that the safest place to have a cardiac arrest is of course in the hospital and the second safest place to have one is on the field of an nfl football game because you have AEDs or automatic external defibrillators uh, in multiple areas of the stadiums. And so the key to survival of this is to defibrillate or to shock the heart as quickly as possible and administer CPR. And thankfully, that's what happened with DeMar Hamlin. All right. Well, thank goodness. uh, Praise God that he's getting so much better, so much faster. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to call in and visit with us and bring us a little bit more clarity. Thank you, Jim. Anytime. Great to talk to you. That's Dr. Jeff Johnson. He's with University Cardiology. Great friend of the show. Great personal friend of Dee Dee and me. Always great to talk to him. Uh, today, we've spent the bulk, the bulk of today's show talking about planning for the economic uncertainty in 2023 and beyond because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Check us out online, broganfinancial.com. Click on classes to find out the upcoming classes that we'll be doing locally through the University of Tennessee and at Pellissippi State Community College. Thank you to Riley and to Jill. Have a great weekend. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.